You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Because, Paul, for the first time in our friendship, we followed through with something. Uh, yeah, that's actually, <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong about that. Not wrong. <laughs> it's taken us eight years, almost nine years. Yeah. We finally did it. We finally did it. We finally stuck with something. Did we do everything right? No. Did we make a lot of promises that we didn't keep? Yes. Did we but. fail on a lot of stuff? No, but on some things, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Did, did we mess up all, and, and say things that we shouldn't have said? Of course. Did we know how to speak English words? No. <laughs> Do we know how to speak English words now? No. Are we any better with um, non-English words? No. Are we good at saying names? No. <laughs> have we made any progress? No. It's like, what, <laughs> what are we listening to? But folks, you're listening to Your Queer Story, and today is... Episode 100. Wow. It's taken us two years. Yep. But you know what, though? Honestly, that's pretty consistent because if there's 52 weeks in a year and it's, yeah. you know, we've it shows that we're ahead of schedule, honestly. I mean, yeah. We've done yeah. great. I, I've, I don't even know. I'm like speechless right now. I am too. I can't <laughs> believe it. I cannot believe how far we've evolved. We're sitting in an office today. We have pictures, we have merch, we have. Stuff hanging around us, pride flags, books. Mm -hmm. We've got nice equipment. Um, and yeah, personally, I've grown a lot. Yeah. I've learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about how naive I was, learned a lot about how I didn't understand how privilege affected things. And yeah. I feel like I'm an entirely different person today than when we started. <laughs> Definitely one of the most educational things for me. Mm -hmm. And without this podcast, there is no way that I would been have been ready for the job that I have today. Yeah, the podcast you know, literally got you a new job. It literally did because it trained me so much about LGBTQ plus issues and concepts. And now I get to do something that I love every day. I get to work with queer clients. I get to produce more queer content and... Samantha, as always, is playing something in the background as loud as possible. She's doing things because things, some things change and some things don't. It's just how it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this I, I say all the time, but I say it again, that I came in thinking that I just knew everything about the queer community because I was queer. And mm -hmm. I found out that I knew nothing. You know, yeah, same. I came in thinking, oh, let's do a queer history podcast. I know what it's like to be queer, but let's cover some stuff so other people can know what it's like. <laughs> and so we can learn a little bit about, you know, different topics and different yeah. people. Let me tell you, 
<laughs> I knew jack shit. Turned out we knew nothing. Our first asexual uh, thing, our first asexual podcast was um, asexual halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, uh, we used some terms that we sh- shouldn't have used. Yeah. We just learned a lot. Like you said, it's about privilege. It's like um, in our our pilgrim, not pilgrims, what was it? Was it the pilgrims? The Puritans? Puritans, in our Puritans episode, which is still one of my favorite episodes, but we, you know, we use, we use, we didn't use the term Native Americans. We used another term that's not super offensive, but it's not great. Right. You not know, appropriate, probably. But it was, a, that was back to the point where, like, we didn't recognize our privilege at all. Um, right. It was just a lot of stuff. It's crazy. I'm like seeing a triple digit number here. I'm just blown away because I thought maybe we'd make it to like episode 40. You know, yeah. I thought like, okay, we can really put in some effort. Oh, I effort. was giving us 10 episodes. Were you tops. really? I was well, like, I actually read when we first started, I remember reading a statistic that like most podcasts stop after seven episodes. And if you make it to like episode 15, you're probably going to continue. Uh-huh. So, I mean, once we hit that milestone, I was like, we're in this for the long run. Yeah. And we are in this for the long run. We week. are. We've only, <laughs> what's really amazing is that we've done a hundred episodes on queer topics, and we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, there's still like so many things, Rob. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you heard a lot. <laughs> there's so many things that I see on a daily basis that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, we can cover that. We can cover that. We can cover that. Like, well, look at our board. Our board is covered with ideas that we haven't got to, and that's just like the ones where I'm like, we got to make sure we get to this. Mm-hmm. And that's not even all the stuff that we. I feel like almost stuff. every day or every other day, I'm sending you an article. Yeah. So like it just like constantly, literally something else, and I don't ever read the article. I just see a headline <laughs> and I send it to you, and I'm like, Evan can sort through this. But. Oh my god, so much. Yeah. So. Thank you to the Patreons who have kept this going, especially those of you who have been there from the beginning, but everyone that's joined, you've made the podcast possible. If you're listening to Your Queer Story, it's because a Patreon has helped to support it. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to the guests that have come on, especially Vima, who has come on and helped us several times. And she will continue actually to. opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, she did. Um, and she will be back soon and now as now that we're once we're allowed to have more people over and expand our social circles we have so many episodes that we've been wanting to cover and everything kind of got squashed down mm-hmm. um and then um what else what other moments have we had oh so many i so many blurbs so many things that have been cut out i wish that i could just <laughs> The the edit that you guys get, you think there's mistakes. <sighs> Let me tell you the edits. I wish that if we had a sound engineer, the poor soul, because I would be like, you need to go through and get out all the get all the bloopers Jesus and make Christ. one massive thing that we can just post that people can listen to all the mistakes that are cut out. All of yeah, true. Um, I don't know. We've had a lot of big changes too. Didn't you buy your house while we were yeah. the start of the podcast? Yeah, you were are very close to having a foster child now. Yeah, I got um, married. You got I got engaged. engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all really been with us through a lot of our lot of ups and downs. A lot of, we've discussed family issues we've had. We've mm-hmm. discussed, I mean, we've, <laughs> we've used you as a form of therapy in our own way <laughs> as we work through our problems. And we appreciate you being mm-hmm. there and listening. So we could dump all our problems on you. Thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah going to keep going as usual and i want to say that this episode drops on the 20th and on the 24th 
24th is Pansexual Visibility Day. So I just want to make sure we remember we remember to say Happy Pan Visibility Day to you folks. Um, our episode is not on pansexual visibility, but we'll get we will get to it. Speaking of pansexual visibility, we have pansexual pride sto- uh, shirts on our merch. That's right. You can go get your pansexual pride. It's, pride is going to be virtual this year, but you still should have your merch because you want to yeah, want to show, show off your on pride. Camera. That's right. Show off on camera. If you run into the grocery store, show that pride. Mm-hmm. Send us a picture. We'll post it on our Instagram. And um, we'll spread the awareness so you can always go and get your merch. But happy we have shirts for as low as three dollars by three dollars, thirteen dollars. Jesus, by you got the people way. really excited. <laughs> thirteen dollars. <laughs> they're all really high quality. Um, yeah, they are. They've they're great. And yeah, there's some new designs. And yeah, all of our product is great quality. I don't feel like we're sitting out shitty things, which is a big thing to me. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know that what we're sending out is good. And it's worth it to spend the money. So good quality, great quality shirts. At a really great price. At a really great price. Okay. So <laughs> um, <clears throat> anything else you want to touch on, Paul? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered yeah, it. Yeah, I think I that's it. Make sure you can join our Patreon, get exclusive content for as low as $3 a month. And uh, like we said last time, if you cannot... Um, if you don't want to sign up for a monthly commitment, just making a one-time donation also really helps us. Yep. And, you know, you're giving back to the community. You're giving back to the podcast that you love so much. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here if you didn't love us. Yeah. And you can always subscribe, like, download the episode, and that helps us as well. Mm -hmm. All right. You seem, what is up with you? I'm letting you do your thing. You let me do my things. I'm trying to include you, and you're not answering. I'm dehydrated right now. I've had too much coffee today. Too much coffee and too much something. Blaming it on the coffee. It's all the coffee's fault. <laughs> all right. Well, folks, we made it to 100 episodes, and we wanted to give you what you love best, which is queer true crime. And we and know you do. Yes, because on our website, <laughs> I check the statistics regularly. Our number one episode that people land on through Google is Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas. <sighs> they love that, huh? Yeah, that's the number one. And then also Daughters of Belitis. And yeah. I forget the other one. There's three that like. I know our Jeffrey Dahmer was really big. Yeah. Absolutely, um, all the Freddie Mercury. That's what you're yes. thinking. Yes, yeah. but I mean the ones that like people find through Google are oh, okay. the True Crime and Daughters of Belitis, which I don't know why Daughters of Belitis is up there. I, I, I guess, guess because there's not a lot of information. We've really got to redo that episode. I mean, it's a good episode. I love mm-hmm. that episode, but it's just the the sound quality is the only thing that gets me. But yep. I do love that episode. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? But yeah, yeah, people love the True Crime. They really do, and I don't blame them because I consume. True crime for at least eight hours a day. And let me tell you, if I wanted to commit a crime, I could get away with it because I've learned all the mistakes, all the right things to do, and how to balance it. What a great little soundbite you've given the the um, right, now prosecution. I'm, gonna, now I'm definitely going to be framed <laughs> They're for like, something. Paul's like, I never would kill anyone. They're like, and listen, if I wanted to kill somebody, I could do it. <laughs> I know all the ways. <laughs> yep. Don't ever take a lie detector test, even if you're innocent. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. They can't be used in court, and it's just a way to make you look guilty. Yeah. And they'll spread it. They'll spin the public against you. Mm-hmm. So, Anyways, today's story is the infamous rivalry, rivalry between lesbian feminist Valerie Solanas and gay artist Andy Warhol. This is going to be a big one, folks. Yeah. This is this was a big... This was a real big deal, like, 30 years ago. I feel like a lot of people don't know the story today, but... No, I, I feel like... Even though how much I know about Andy Warhol and his art and everything, I never even knew that somebody tried to fucking assassinate him. Yeah. Which is what this woman did in 1968. 
But who was Solanus, and what led her to shoot one of the most prominent artists of the time? And we're so glad you asked. We are. In some ways, Valerie and Andy had a lot in common, yet their journeys were very different. Aside from the fact that they were both the children of immigrants, their childhoods could not have been different. Warhol's family had arrived from Austria-Hungary Austria-Hungary during World War I and settled in Pennsylvania, while the Solanus family had immigrated from Spain first, then to Montreal until eventually settling in New Jersey. For his part, Andy grew up in a stable home, though he did lose his father to an accident at age 13. He was also afflicted with a nervous disorder called Sinhem's chorea, which... Uh, which caused his limbs to twitch involuntarily. Still, in 1945, he graduated from high school, winning a Scholastic Art and Writing Award and enrolled in Carnegie Mellon University. Um, and it was actually when he was in bed. This was a lot of very similar to Frida Kahlo. Remember when she was locked um, in bed, bedridden yeah. because of her accident mm -hmm. and her health issues? That is also where he really began to develop his art and his talents. And I think that makes sense because if you're so confined, especially in a time where... There was no internet and no mass production of media. What else did you have to do? Right? Yeah. You had to, like, what, were you just going to lay there and go crazy? If you I know? if I was locked in bed, I would write so much more. And Samantha already thinks I write too much. But I would literally what write What else would you day. do? You lay know? there and stare off into space, watch TV? I mean, yeah. If I had use of my arms, I'd probably play video games. But, <laughs> yeah. I like, that would be my life. Yeah. More to it than it is today. Exactly. And also you think about the escape that it would give too. Yeah. Because it's not just that you don't have anything else to do, but this is an escape from reality. Right. You don't have to be the person that's bedridden. You can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, in some ways, Valerie and Andy... Wait. No, Valerie's story. I didn't scroll. That's fine. Yeah, you need to scroll up. I know it's been a hundred episodes. It's really hard to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie's story was very different. Her father, her father sexually abused her regularly, and though her parents eventually split... Valerie didn't care much for her stepfather either. For a while, she was sent to live with her grandparents, but her grandfather was an alcoholic who beat her. By the time she was 15, she was living on the streets, a truant student, and at 17, she became pregnant. The child was immediately taken from her at birth, and she would never see him again. But despite the mountain of obstacles in her way, Valerie Solanus was brilliant. She graduated from high school and later graduated with honors from Maryland University, university and earned a degree in psychology she toyed around with getting a graduate degree bouncing around from minnesota to california and eventually taking a few courses at berkeley which minnesota and california are vastly different very places. different like, well you think she starts in new jersey she goes to maryland to get her um degree then winds up in minnesota and then out to california she's right, like, so she's seen all different walks of life in the united states from the east coast to the midwest yes. to the real midwest mm -hmm. to you know the west coast and each place has such different cultures so different and also the thing about valerie she's always she's very poor during all of her entire life she's been incredibly poor um and she's also an out lesbian she comes out very early in life um she in the 50s she comes out as a lesbian so she is in the minority groups in the poor and that is her life mm -hmm. bouncing around in the poorest communities across the country andy warhol is in the more affluent community he's, he's rich he's wealthy he becomes i mean he goes straight to carnegie mellon which is a huge university and then he and not lives to mention the York. abuse that he wasn't forced to face as exactly in every walk of life right yeah and we're not i mean it's, it's hard in this case because you don't want to excuse anything that valerie solanus did but also 
she was just not a mentally healthy person. Right. And she, it wasn't that she was this evil, vindictive person. It's not like when we're covering a serial killer like Henry Lee Lucas right, and not a tool. She was a person who was just not well, and she got fixated on Andy Warhol. Yeah, not well, and then didn't have the resources or mm-hmm. the support necessary to treat that issue. Absolutely. Not yeah. that that's an excuse, but that's what led to yeah. what happened. But you just talk about these these differently. Like when we talk, if we were talking about Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas, we can make fun of them because they're assholes mm-hmm. who murdered dozens of people. But Valerie, she's just one person that had a breakdown. Yep. In the 1960s were the most formative for Warhol and Solanus. It was when they were most alike and when their rivalry began. After graduating from college, Warhol had moved to New York City, where he took odd jobs at various magazines, newspapers, developing and refining his art along the way. He began exhibiting his work in the late 1950s, and in 1962, his big break came when he debuted his piece, Campbell's Soup Cans. Around the same time Warhol was becoming a breakout star, Valerie Solanas was arriving in New York City herself. Though once again, their circumstances were very different. Despite her college degree, Valerie struggled to find work and ended up using sex work, odd jobs, and begging to pay the bills. In between work and hustling, she wrote an autobiography titled A Young Girl's Primer to How to Attain the Leisure Class and a play called Up Your Ass. Sounds like if she had gotten mental help, she could be a friend of ours. I, right, yeah. Just I would saying. Love- if she was like well and yeah if you're like i wrote a play called up your ass i'd be like absolutely i'm going to see that play (laughs) (laughs) both andy and valerie were gay and lived openly something virtually unheard of during this era and as and as is suspected it brought each of them a lot of extra headache heartaches though he was becoming a prominent artist warhol was often excluded from his peers because of his open sexuality even being shut out by men by many fellow gay artists who feared they would be outed purely through association. In Coast and Bonds? In Coast and Bonds, Andy Warhol, a biography, he prints this response written by Warhol when a critic said he had too much swish. Same. (laughs) There was nothing I could say to that. It was all too true. So I decided I just wasn't going to care because those were all things that I didn't want to change anyway, that I didn't think I should want to change. Other people could change their attitude, but not me. Yeah. It was a really great response because, yeah, I love that because it's just like, well, you're right. I do have too much swish and I don't, are you wanting me to fix that? Like, what's your problem? Mm -hmm. But it was, it was sad though, because he did always feel as popular as he was, he was not accepted by the artist community and it was because he was open. Not because he he was gay. And had he not been out, he probably could have been even bigger, which is the fucked up part because he was big. Yeah. And just like the the idea of what could have been if things weren't the way they were. Exactly. But that's what I mean, though. But the artist community was so gay because it's always has been gay. But (laughs) because he was open, that was why he was excluded. They're Mm -hmm. like, we can be friends with you if you're gay, but we can't be friends with you if you're open. And he's like, well, I'm going to be open. Right. Um, Valerie struggled as an outsider and as an outsider in her world as well. It's supposed to say world. It says wood. Anyways. She was beginning to attract the attention of the New York feminist movement, but she had some strikes against her. For one, she openly hated men and believed the world would be better without them. 
And for another, she was an open lesbian who wasn't interested in being feminine or waiting quietly in any closets. If you've listened to our past episodes on lesbians in the 1960s feminist movement, such as Barbara Smith and the Daughters of Belitis, then you know the movement was not welcoming to lesbians and certainly not welcoming to angry, to angry butch lesbians who embraced their rage and masculinity. Yeah, so she was basically the stereotype lesbian that when people are making fun of lesbians or want to like portray them in a negative way, they try to use that image yeah. as something that's like, why would you want anything to do with this? I think that's actually an excellent point you made because in general, Valerie Solanas became the stereotype for an angry feminist, an angry lesbian, a butch lesbian, like mm-hmm. everything that's comical and everything that the right can use to project fear that was Valerie Solanas. Every lesbian is like this. Yeah. Every feminist is like this. Every, like, I mean, growing up, I heard things we'll get to later. Like, they told us that le- that feminists want all men to die. Mm-hmm. And the truth is there was one angry, loud feminist that right. wanted all men to die. And, but it was, that became the stereotype. Right, exactly. Yeah. Is it you or me? It's you. In truth, given the abuse of her past and her current living and work situation, Valerie's mental health was not in its best state. It is important that we address this issue because we would not condone or excuse her action. Oh, it is important that we address this issue because while we would not want to condone or excuse her actions, we also want to the point to point. We also want this is you. This is not me. Yes. It is important that we address this issue because while we would not condone or excuse her actions, we also point to the way Valerie has been portrayed in later years. She's reduced to nothing more than the woman who shot Andy Warhol, a title she thrust upon herself when she took those actions. But she also was a writer and an activist with an energy and rage needed to drive the movement at the time. While while while... This you're, like, you're literally gonna be like this is me, but we've been doing this for a hundred episodes, <laughs> and for a hundred episodes you've stumbled over my scripts and blamed me for it. It's still your fault. It's the, that's that church writing. <laughs> While Warhol lived openly queer, he also lived in his privilege of being a wealthy white man. Solanus was a gay woman of Spanish and Italian heritage, living in a world where women could only be heard when they were when they screamed. And then when they did scream, they were labeled as crazy. And it's true because if they weren't loud, they're, oh, sit down, woman, we'll take care of this. Sit down. So they had to be loud and fucking, I don't want to use the word crazy, but they had to. You had to be angry and aggressive. Yeah, you had to portray like that, what people would call crazy because nobody's going to listen otherwise. So until you make a scene, what's going to happen? Well, there's also that thing where people are like, okay, and they start start patronizing you. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to not not explode and be like, stop saying I'm fucking crazy. I'm right. And the thing about Valerie Solanas, aside from her idea that men wanted to, that she wanted men to die, was that she was right Mm -hmm. about a lot of things. She was right about poverty. She was right about women's rights. She was right about racism. She was right about these things. And the more she'd been like, she was like, but no, you guys are all fucked up. People are like, okay, Valerie, you're being a little crazy. Why don't you go sit down? (laughs) Why don't you smile for us? Give us a nice little smile. Right. And it's enough to make any person in the most stable mental, uh, uh, the most stable mental health to want to like lose their mind. Mm -hmm. So a person who's already struggling and has no resources to help them, you're just making it worse. You're just really, um, just blow it. You're making this person more crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Valerie Solanas was told she was crazy long before she ever had a breakdown and shot Andy Warhol. All throughout her life, she was called crazy when her passion made others uncomfortable and her brazen spirit caused folks to feel intimidated. She was labeled erratic and intrusive, and in truth, she was those things, eventually becoming obsessive and paranoid, and later, a stalker and an attempted murderer. It's hard not to have some sympathy for Solanas, though, given the rough break she had in life. Were you going to say something? No. In 1967, Valerie approached Andy outside his New York studio, known as The Factory, Warhol used the studio to exhibit all of his art, including several of the films he had produced that were considered too pornographic for regular theaters, such as his silent film Blowjob, which is a close-up of a man's face as he gets sucked off, and Lonesome Cowboys, a satire about homoeroticism in Western films. Warhol was amused by Valerie's strong personality, almost as much almost as if she were another piece to his collection of oddities. She asked him producer a play Up Your Ass, and he took her script, promising to look it over. <laughs> Which, those sound like great films. I, I can see how maybe they were a little too pornographic. Oh, I watched, you can, you can watch Blowjob on um, YouTube right now. It's literally a man fully clothed, and it's just his face. But it's very erotic, and I get it. That's fine. Like it was too erotic, um, mm-hmm. for, especially for the time period. Yeah, you weren't going to get that played in a regular theater. And Andy Warhol didn't care about that. He wasn't trying. He to just produced it produce, for him for yeah. his art. He that was just it was it was just artistic. But um, the one thing about Andy, and here's the thing, and you see this a lot. Um, Valerie is the weird kid that all the cool kids want to have around because they Mm -hmm. think they're kind of funny, but mostly because they want to make fun of that person. And that's the relationship between Andy Warhol and Valerie Solanas. Mm -hmm. But she was a brilliant person. So she was smart enough to know that Andy thought she was out of her mind. Mm -hmm. But she also thought, but maybe he can produce my play. I mean, he he produces. This is an opportunity for me. Yeah. He's already producing obscene content. He's exactly the person to produce this obscene content. Mm -hmm. And Andy Warhol treated her as just like, you're cute. A toy. A toy. She was a toy. And then he got annoyed with the toy. And he's like, eh. You're not being cute and funny anymore, Valerie. I want to get rid of my toy now. I don't like it anymore. I've gotten my use out of it. Yeah. The the two struck up a casual friendship, though it was never a balanced one. Warhol was entering the height of his career, and Valerie was still a struggling sex worker who kept getting kicked out of various feminist groups. Ironically, the plot of Up Your Ass is about a lesbian prostitute who reports on her day-to-day living and winds up killing a man. According to legend, Warhol found the place so pornographic he thought it was a joke or the police attempting to entrap him. The factory was raided regularly by police, and in a secret Georgia screening of Lonesome Cowboys, police had shown up confiscated the film and made a list of everyone who attended the forbidden movie. Yeah. So, I mean, he did have to worry about this heavy censorship of the time, Mm -hmm. but I don't know because I don't know what up your ass is like. It is available and I didn't have time to look at it because I was too busy reading Valerie's manifesto, which took a lot out of me. And so I didn't get to read up your ass, but I did. I was like, I mean, maybe he just didn't think it was good, but he, he, he told her it's just, it's too pornographic. And I'm like, but Dude, you literally make porn. Yeah. That's what you do. That's part of your art. But he just didn't want to make it. He just thought it was ridiculous. Warhol became disillusioned with Valerie and her persistence and lack of boundaries did not help. He told her he couldn't produce her play and cattily responded, you typed this yourself? Why don't you work for us as a receptionist? 
So <laughs> yet again, being patronized by another man. Exactly. Right. It's like the whole life, right? Her, her father sexually abuses her. Her stepfather is an asshole. Her grandfather beats her. Um, she gets pregnant and we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like it was very consensual. Mm-hmm. So she got pregnant, her baby's taken away. And now she works as a sex worker sleeping with men no man in her life has ever been good to her. Right. I could see why she would want them all dead. Exactly. And <laughs> what is, she, what's the point of these people on this earth? All they are is assholes who want to control everything. Right. Why would I want them around? And again, you know she's brilliant. She's a little, she's not well, but she's brilliant. And, and a lot of brilliant people aren't mentally well. Exactly. I mean, look at Tennessee Williams. Look at so many writers. Mm-hmm. that uh, Truman Capote. Like, look at male writers who really were not stable and not well. But we look at their art and we think, wow, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they're not just reduced to the psycho. Right. But when it's a woman that's crazy, we're like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, then to, like, belittle her again. And for once again, for a man to be like, you'd make a great receptionist. Yeah. I don't want to produce your shit content. <laughs> You want to type things up for me, though, pretty lady? Yeah. So Solanus was insulted and requested her copy returned, to which Andrew replied that he had lost it. So then on top of everything else, you're going to be insulting and you're going to be like, I lost your script. And this is not in the days where you could just go to the copier. Right. This like, was like her work that you, she yeah. had to hand write or type. Type. Maybe. She had to stand type it, but you had to type each copy. But if she... I don't even think she had a copy, if I remember correctly. Uh, she didn't have a copy. She didn't have another copy. She yeah, had, so this was her work that was just gone. It was gone. Exactly. Like, she had worked so hard on this, and, and, he's, and he's taken it. So she demanded that he repay her, but instead he gave her $25 to appear in one of his films, I, a Man. Though she was still upset, she needed the money, and she did enjoy Warhol's art. She took the role and even invited a friend to the screening. Yet that winter would send Valerie into a manic spiral and she had no one to get her the help she needed for her mental health. It was during this time that she wrote her most notorious work, Scum Manifesto, which I linked in here so you can go to our script and you can read it. It was based on her newly created feminist movement, Society for Cutting Up Men, Scum. She was the only member. The manifesto had actually been an ongoing project but it was in early winter and spring of 1967 she gained new motivation and completed the manuscript it's about the it's about what one would imagine would be written by a person in the throes of a mania who hates men scum attributes every failing in society to man's inability to reach and achieve his female side in fact solana states that men are incomplete females and by changing men to women we can end society's problems I feel like i need to buy that just to have it in my collection yes. my small growing collection of insane i don't know that's yeah. rude yeah my small work of my small collection of extreme brilliant extreme works brilliant extremism would be a great yes i feel that's the way to to read it because then like i'll well, you'll read it but like some parts are like yeah great valerie and other parts are like valerie what the fuck did we just happen it's that <laughs> conversation that you have with that friend that you're like you're like yes yes and then all of a sudden you're like what okay wait a minute <laughs> wait what's happening <laughs> <laughs> there are lines in the men is it you or me it's you all right there are lines in the manuscript that anyone could appreciate and agree with such as A woman not only takes her identity and individuality for granted, but knows instinctively that the only wrong is to hurt others and that the meaning of life is love. Or relatable insights like this one, the purpose of higher education is not to educate, educate, but to exclude as many as possible from the various professions, which I... That's that's true, true. right? You're like, absolutely. And some lines that are comical in themselves, such as, 
Being completely self-centered and unable to relate to anything outside himself, the male's conversation, when not about himself, is an impersonal droning on, removed from anything of human value. I agree with that as well. <laughs> right? There's just a lot of stuff. She talks a lot about um, how how money and uh, she talks a lot about how like the class society has kept down poor people and how money is used as a way to further keep them down. And she talks about, I mean, and the, and like where we're at today where people, you know, there's a lot about rent strikes and how landlords can be immoral. I, I feel like a lot of people would relate to scum, mm-hmm. but again, yet the manifesto as a whole is filled with hate and violence. The plan is for scum members to essentially unwork society until it is broken. It possesses the following. Scum will be scum will become members of the unwork force, the fuck up force. They will get jobs of various kinds and unwork. For example, scum sales girls will not charge for merchandise. Scum telephone operators will not charge for calls. Scum office and factory workers, in addition to fucking up their work, will secretly destroy equipment. Scum will unwork at a job until fired, then get a new job to unwork that. Scum will, first, will forcibly relieve bus drivers, cab drivers, and subway token sellers of their jobs and run buses and cabs and dispense free tokens to the public. Scum will destroy all useless and harmful objects, cars, store windows, great art, etc. Eventually, scum will take over the airwaves, radio, and TV networks by forcibly relieving of their jobs all radio and TV employees who will impede scum's entry into, the broadca- into broadcasting studios. Scum will couple boast will couple bust, barge into mixed male and female couples whenever they are, and bust them up. Scum will kill all men who are not in the men's auxiliary of scum. She really <laughs> lost it there. Yeah, so then all this, that's what I mean. Then all of a sudden, like, ah, well. <laughs> mm, I need this book. In short, the manifesto, though not taken seriously by many other than Solanus, was dangerous and can really be summed up in these few lines. Just as humans have a prior right to existence over dogs by virtue of being more highly evolved and having a superior consciousness, so women have a prior right to existence over men. The elimination of any male is, therefore, a righteous and good act, an act highly beneficial to women as well as an act of mercy. So, it's a lot. Yeah. I can see the uh, mental issues there. Yeah. So again, so um, and like I said, it's linked. So you're welcome to read it all. It's not that long, but it's a lot. Uh, it's just a lot that we're like, like I said, it's exactly like someone who's in that manic swing, mm-hmm. what you would expect them to write, where at times you're like, I see your brilliancy coming through and I see the manic coming through. Right. The fall of Solanus began that fall. Solanus began to self-publish her work. And while the overwhelming majority of feminists did not support the the elimination of men, they did like the way the pamphlet turned the tables on the male sex, making women the the rulers of earth and men their servants, splashing cold water on the Jude Cleaver image of the 1950s. Remember, we're coming from that really strong, Mm -hmm. like they're trying to return women home after being in the workforce for World War II. So they're like really pushing this heightened feminist idea, feminine idea. Still, no feminist movement could actually embrace such a violent manifesto, and Valerie Solanas certainly wasn't making any friends. As things became became tenser between her and Warhol, she began to become paranoid that the artist and her potential publisher, Maurice Girodias, were plotting together to steal her work. On June 3rd, 1968, Valerie showed up at the Actors Studio in New York looking for director Lee Strasberg. Instead, she was met with actress Sylvia Miles, who took the play Solanus handed her and, quick, and quickly shut the door. Miles later recalled, I knew she was trouble. I didn't know what sort of trouble, but I knew she was trouble. Valerie then traveled to producer Margot Fe- Feedman, Feidman? 
I think Feedman. Uh, Margot F- Feedman and for four hours pleaded with Feedman to produce her play, but the producer wouldn't budge. So Solanus pulled a gun on Margot. Sorry. But the producer wouldn't budge, so Solanus pulled a gun on Margot. Still, Feedman refused to fund the play, and to which Valerie responded, Yes, you will produce the play for me, because I'll shoot Andy Warhol, and that will make me famous, and the play famous, and then you'll produce it. It's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I mean, it, it's obviously it's wrong, but like the point of like, which we see where it's like nobody wants to produce her stuff, but then she's like, well, what happens I'll if I famous. kill Amy, Andy Warhol? Then you'll want it. Then I'll be famous. Mm-hmm. With that, she left the house and Feedman immediately called the police in Warhol's precinct, warning them about the danger. The cops weren't interested. One even asked Margot how she knew what a real gun looked like and if she could, and he couldn't believe that a woman would have any idea. Which is a dumb thing. This is fucking America. Everybody's right? seen a gun. Literally. <laughs> Those it was just World War II. They were just manufacturing <laughs> guns and ammo. Like. Right. And he's like, all right, little lady, do you even know what a real gun looks like? <laughs> Those records prove that Feedman did call, uh, but no officers were sent out to either Margot's home or Andy Warhol's. So at 2 p.m., Valerie arrived at the factory and rode the elevator up and down as she waited for Andy. Which that's even more manic right there. Right? Like you're not just going to sit in one spot. You're just going up and down. And I think and it was for an down. hour. She was just like that. Yeah, that shows like that you're at a height of a mental That shows break. that, yeah, yeah. When Warhol finally showed up, uh, when Warhol finally showed, when Warhol finally showed, he complimented Valerie and spoke to her briefly before being pulled away to take a call at the lobby phone. Someone told Solanus to leave before they beat the hell out of her, and a few moments later, Valerie pulled out a thirty-two, a thirty-two Beretta, uh, pulled out a thirty-two Beretta and shot at Andy Warhol three times, missing him twice before finally hitting him. She then shot at. She then shot art critic Mario Amaya once in the hip and turned to shoot Warhol's manager in the head, but the gun jammed. Hughes, the manager, asked Valerie to leave, and she did. Man. Just leave. Like the, the, that, that's all he was. He was just like, "Please, you've done everything. You can go." And mm-hmm. and then she just turned and walked out. It's like okay. Several hours later, she turned herself and her gun into the police. At her pretrial hearing, it became obvious that Solanus was not mentally well. She refused to be. Sh- she refused to show any remorse for what she had done. Insisted that Warhol was in a conspiracy to ruin her life, and requested the right to def- to be her own defense. Instead, the judge had her sent off to Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital. Hospital. Though it's passed off today as an open and shut case of a deranged individual attacking a prominent artist, things were not so black and white at the time. In fact, the New York president of NOW, National Organization for Women, came to Solana's defense and lost her position over it. In addition, black feminist lawyer and civil rights activist Florence Kennedy took on Valerie's case and argued that her habeas corpus and argued that her habeas corpus rights had been violated. But even though it was an honor to be defended by Kennedy, it made no difference in Valerie's case. She was declared incompetent to stand trial and sentenced to three years in the Mattawan State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. The same month Solanus went to prison, uh, Giordius published the Scum Manifesto. So exactly. Of course. Yeah. Now she's famous, so now he, he publishes it. And I never saw if she got any, like, money or anything, or anything royalty like from it. Yeah. The Madawan Hospital in the late 60s was a blueprint for every horror film ever made about a mental institute. Terrifying. 
The building was made for 550 people and housed nearly 2,000. Electric shock was normal, as was insulin shock, the process of inducing a week-long coma in the patient. Sterilization was also the norm in institutes for the criminally insane. During her three years in the facility, Valerie was given a forced hysterectomy. She suffered other forms of abuse and maltreatment, and sadly, this would not be her only time in mental institutions. Upon her release in 1971, Valerie promptly began to stalk Andy Warhol again. This led to her being imprisoned again, which would happen several more times in her life. Eventually, she faded into obscurity and became nothing more than the crazy dyke who shot Andy Warhol. For his part, Warhol went on and continued to have a wildly successful career, becoming one of the most prominent artists in modern times. But he would never recover from the fear of being hunted by Valerie. Warhol's lover, Billy Name, said, He was so sensitized, you couldn't put your hand on him without him jumping. I couldn't even love him anymore because it hurt him to touch me. Or it hurt him to touch him. It, it is sad. Like, and that's the thing, though. Like, you know, yes, Warhol was catty and maybe he used Valerie a little bit. But, I mean, he wasn't a bad person. Right. She just became fixated on him. And it was just mm-hmm. like she had she had to do something to one more person. And, that, and, and her breakdown revolved around him. And then for the rest of his life, I mean, this is 1968 and he didn't die for another 20 years. And for the next 20 years... He was constantly mm-hmm. terrified, and exactly, and, and afraid that she was going to come. And it just like he couldn't sleep, he, just nothing. Um, the fear of dying in a hospital stayed with Andy for the rest of his life, so much so that he refused to get surgery for his gallbladder in 1987 until it became grossly infected. Finally, he was forced to go into the hospital and have the operation. The surgery itself was fine, but the next day Andy had a heart attack and died on February 22nd, 1987. Valerie had spent the previous decades wandering the country, homeless and alone. She had finally forgotten about Warhol, though, and ended up back on the other side of the country in San Francisco's Tenderloin District. On April 25th, 1988, she died of pneumonia. On her desk were a pile of manuscripts because she never stopped writing. I'm sure those were even more out yeah. there. Yeah, I'm sure. I, we don't As, know because her mother burned them all. Yeah. I would have... Because at that point, she had been through the mental institution and the electric shock. And I'm sure that the mental state just continued to decline because nobody ever actually helped her. Right. And I would have loved... I mean, maybe the mother read those and was like, these have to... Maybe, yeah, maybe she's like, she didn't want her. But um, it's... uh, So Ultraviolet, who was a friend of um, Andy Warhol, tracked down um, Valerie right after Warhol's death. And just to like see where she was, mm-hmm. and Valerie was living. In, she was homeless in San Francisco, and and Valerie didn't even know that Andy had died. So it was like that obsession had lifted. But by then, she had she had been broken by society. And you have to really remember that even though people thought she was angry and upset, that for a brief time in the 1960s, she was an up and coming feminist star. Yep. You know, people are like, "Yeah, Valerie's a little aggressive, but we need aggression right now." Mm-hmm. And then it was all gone. And then she was just. The crazy woman that lived on the streets. Yep. The story of Valerie and Andy has become immortalized in pop history and queer folklore. It's been turned into a movie in three different plays. In addition, Up Your Ass finally did get its... Oh, sorry. Finally did get its debut. In addition, Up Your Ass finally did get its debut when Warhol's copy of the script was found in his ex-lover's trunk. The George Coates performance works turned the play into a musical featuring an all-female cast. Um... The consulted, they consulted Valerie's sister on the project, and she said Valerie would have approved of the 
satirical twist. In the most recent portrayal of Valerie Solanus, American Horror Story Cult featured Valerie's story starring Lena, Lena. Lena Dunham as Solanus. Though she never had the impact she wanted, we can certainly say Valerie Solanus left an impression. Which now I need to watch American Horror Story Cult. Yeah, you do. Um, so yeah, up. Sorry, what messed up on that was that Up Your Ass uh, debuted in 2000. It was found in 1999. Wow. So it was found 10 years after her death, and like what 30 years after it had been lost. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It was like he had just thrown it in the lighting box, and then he found it. So your recommended resources are Valerie Solanus, The Defiant Life of the Woman Who Wrote Scum and Shot Andy Warhol by Brian Foz, and also the 1996 movie I Shot Andy Warhol, which is available for free on YouTube. Um, it's not a great movie, but I think the actress does a great job. I don't know Valerie Solanus, but I just felt like the actress really portrayed that person, that that tension building, mm-hmm. um, and and that 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 manic spiral. But it wasn't a, it wasn't in a um, uh, a mocking way, right? Like they, they weren't mocking who she was or the fact that she was mentally ill. It, I thought it was very well. The actress did a great job. The movie itself, that's understandable. Yeah, kind of dragged. Didn't like it that much. But it is for available for free on YouTube. So if you're locked away and you want to see more, you are welcome to do that. And um, yeah, thank that's you for it. 100 episodes. We wouldn't be here without all of you. We would not. In 2000, I'm trying. I'm, I'm editing this because I know you're <laughs> not going to fix it, and then it's going to go up there like that. Yeah, and I'll forget. But thank you. Um, yes, we wouldn't be here today doing this without all of the support and all of our listeners. We've grown a lot because of you. We've grown a lot because of this podcast. We've both learned a lot about ourselves. Um, yeah. yeah, you guys made a hundred episodes possible. I hope you enjoyed this one. It's a it's a story that I feel like kind of got lost in like it is in queer folklore, but it's not as prominent as it was once. I thought it was interesting too that it was a lesbian and a gay man mm-hmm. dueling it out once again. I don't know what That's the like issue a common, is. That's common thing. I also I wonder if that also lends to that stereotype of like maybe. lesbian and gay men hate each other because a lesbian shot a gay man. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Know. But thank you for 100 episodes. We'll be back next week as yeah. always. And Pride's coming up. So get that merch if you want. Yes. Check out our shop. We have regular sales. Things go as cheap as $13. We have stickers for like, what, $2? Slap that on a yeah. cup. Anything you want. It's there. Yeah. But thank you so much, guys. And above all. Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love your little allied hookers. Oh, succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. Have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And don't don't shoot anyone. Please. Get some help. Reach yes. out. Get some help. Okay? Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.